Welcome to the Profitable Happiness Podcast, where we interview highly successful workplace wellness executives, experts, and entrepreneurs, and learn how they have found success where happiness meets business profitability. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Profitable Happiness Podcast, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to Nick Gallo, who is the co-CEO, and he calls himself the chief servant of Compliance Line. Uh, Nick, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm great. So, uh, so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I've been excited to have this conversation for a while. Absolutely. And I'm particularly excited to have this conversation because you have some really unique perspectives on what for some people is kind of a, you know, a, a detail oriented topic, you know, compliance, policies and procedures, HR, numbers, data. <laughs> and you guys call it culture, right? And you call yourself a chief servant. I mean, you're bringing these concepts pretty high. Tell us how you became who you are today and your leadership of several, um, uh, uh, you know, a large workforce in, in, in the making of your products. Tell us how you became uh, the co-CEO of Compliance Line. Well, I, uh, I serve uh, my team at Compliance Line. I call myself the chief servant and I do that alongside my brother. Uh, we're both co-CEOs of this business and we are fulfilling a lifelong dream that we've had. And our story really goes back to when my grandfather came over from Cuba uh, in his 50s, actually. So this was in the early 60s. He had built this great business in Cuba. Uh, he was at the upper echelons of society. Had made, he had made a ton of money. And um, due to some political changes that occurred, everything got taken away from him. And he found himself you know, in his 50s with three little kids living in a country that he didn't know, living in Chicago, working in a pizza factory. It's snowing outside. You can't find a palm tree in Chicago anywhere. No car, no home, no, no nothing. And the reason I start, the reason we always start our story with that story is because it, it really is the foundation for our family's experience in this country. And the thing that we were always told growing up is that while our country's not perfect, no country is, this is a country that at least has something called upward mobility. It's at least a place that you can bake your own pie and then cut the piece of the pie that you want. And it's at least a place that you can, with hard work and ingenuity, you can make things happen. There's a lot of opportunity here. So this American dream story that you know, we, we were told growing up, we also saw played out by our family. We came from humble beginnings and I saw our family, which, you know, at one point we were living in the worst neighborhoods and we were moving up to the second to the worst neighborhoods and our, my parents really kind of climbed us up out of that barrel uh, and moving past and, you know, creating opportunities for our family to take advantage of. We saw this opportunity that this country presents played out. So like a lot of, like a lot of immigrants, we come from an entrepreneurial family. We had a business uh, when we landed in uh, Indianapolis, when I was about to start high school, you know, like I said, we moved around a ton and we finally landed there and got some stability. My parents started a business and we, my brother and I and my sisters, we played an active role in that business from scrubbing toilets and taking out the trash to, as time went on, running sales teams and setting appointments and things like that. This really kind of was the seed for this dream that my brother and I had uh, at that time to one day, Lord willing, run a business together and be part of building something. We saw how our parents took care of their employees and took, took care of their customers and took care of, you know, tried to run a proper business. And at that point is when we learned that, you know, profit is not the goal. Profit is a byproduct of, of creating something great. And we just mm -hmm. thought, man, it would be so fun 
you know, me and my brother were, were very com complimentary. Um, we have a lot of com complimentary personality and skills, but we come from the same place. So there's a, there's a certain sort of resonance between us. And we just really had this dream to do that. So we set out to try to build a skill set that would allow us to, like I said, take advantage of this kind of an opportunity. And we found this opportunity with Compliance Line. And for the last, you know, almost four years, we've been um, at the helm of Compliance Line, helping to try to take this company to the next level. And we've been doing that by focusing on service. And, you know, it's been a really fun ride. Uh, we have a lot of great people on our team. We're in a really great industry. And you kind of talked about how we're in what some people wouldn't say is that sexy of a business. It's a lot of policy, a lot yeah. of procedures and things like that. But I think what we've seen in our own experience just running this company is that that is the framework, that is the scaffolding for the building. Um, but what, what, what we get to build within that is something that, that can really have a lot of passion and something that can really help elevate the functions and the people that are not only within our, in our business, but also within the businesses of the clients that we serve. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let, let, let me just take a, a moment to agree with you 100% about the idea of the American dream being real. Um, you know, for a lot of people, uh, there's, there's quite a bit of cynicism. Um, and it's great when we see someone like you who actually has lived it from nothing to something so great as what you have today. I mean, I lived it too. I came from a refugee camp in, uh, in, in a civil war in Africa. That's, that was my beginning, you know, talk about right. zero, negative below zero, right? Um, right. And, and so uh, I'm just, you know, so, so grateful for your, your testimony. This is that land of, of, of dreams and it can be done. Um, but now, now moving on to what you do today, as I said, I really, really, really um, was attracted and drawn to, your definition of, as you say, compliance not being a very sexy topic. I mean, it's, you know, I'll let you define it, but, you know, as a former VP of HR, compliance was the one thing that everybody was afraid of. It's like, oh, procedures, ah, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta be in conformance. We gotta, we gotta be, the, the laws, they're gonna come check on us. They're gonna come, you know, it's like everybody's afraid. So tell us how you guys started out with this idea that, com that compliance is really about culture. And that a great culture, a healthy culture, is the, the, the seed for success in a company. How did you guys get there? Well, for us, I think we've always seen that, you know, you need, obviously need high standards. You need rules. You need those sort of boundaries around, you know, whatever activities that are in place. But with those clearly defined boundaries, there then can open up a lot of creativity, I mean, think of a soccer field, right? If a soccer field had no boundaries around it, what would that game look like? Like there needs to be those boundaries. But within that, then you see all kinds of creativity and all kinds of magic that can happen on that field, all kinds of teamwork and so forth, again, within those bounds. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what's going on in our economy today is this is not the 1920s. This is not everyone working for Henry Ford on some assembly line as a labor unit, you know, hoping that they don't get an arm ripped out in a machine. We are in a knowledge work economy. And even in manufacturing settings, there's so much knowledge work going on in those places that the power has shifted from the assets being these machines to the assets being the people. So tying it back to what we're talking about here, which is culture, culture are those boundaries. But if we can use those boundaries to set a foundation for a cultural explosion that can ultimately empower the people that are functioning within these organizations, mm -hmm. then you can really unleash a lot of 
a lot of magic from the assets of the organization, which again are the people. The assets are in the brains of the people every single day that are leaving work and they're coming back and they're trying to follow these rules. So from our standpoint, you know, we're always talking about compliance is culture because compliance is the thing that can sort of guide the behaviors of the individuals. The behaviors of the individuals end up translating into all the actions that are occurring within an organization. Mm -hmm. And although and the sum total of those actions actually feed into the brand of the organization because that's what your clients, you know, um, the clients of the business end up experiencing. So again, it's this interdependent thing that's all related. Mm -hmm. But if we can help compliance move from this check the box function, this Gestapo, this thing that people are feared, uh, that this function that, that people fear mm -hmm. and help them elevate out of that kind of mentality toward being an empowerment, being a way for people to get the guidance that they need to run their routes, you know, uh, as fast as they can or, or as creatively as they can, it then can be a great foundation for culture because it actually drives the behavior and provides the guidance that folks need. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And in fact, um, another definition for culture would include the word beliefs. So when you have shared beliefs, in addition to shared behavior, that's when you really have culture because, you know, we can Got choose it. to behave uh, however we want in compliance to the laws and the things that we have to behave, you know, the things we have to do. But do we really believe those things? So when you can get at the level of behavior, you're really talking, uh, sorry, belief, you're really talking. Now, do you guys um, include the belief angle in addition to behavior when you think about culture? And how do you define a healthy culture? Because I know a healthy culture is at the core of, of what you guys are seeking to help people with. How do you define a healthy yeah. culture? So I think, you know, just like you wouldn't want a, you know, if your personal trainer was like super overweight and had grease stains on his shirt, you, yeah. you wouldn't have like a lot of credibility, right? So <laughs> yeah. for us, if we're going to be helping. I, I like the picture um, of the grease on his shirt. <laughs> That's a good he's one. He's got a cheeseburger. There's yeah, cheese drop. Cheese. Okay. Yeah, you know, five more reps. It's like, yeah, well, yeah. I don't want to listen. <laughs> so if we're going to be helping clients, our clients um, with culture, and we're going to help them, you know, intertwine the compliance angle to move from it just being a seatbelt in the car, which obviously you need that stuff. You need that safety in the car, but it can also to a point where we can elevate that and be also a spoiler on that car. So that, that car can move down the road more quickly. We have to have our own house in order. So to your question, a healthy culture is going to be one that's authentic, one that's real, one that resonates with the people who are living it out. We talk about this a lot, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find a company uh, or hard, hard pressed to find a company website that doesn't have some mission page and some yeah. vision page, value page. Yeah. It's become this trite thing that's actually kind of a joke because the percentage of companies that actually live that out are mm -hmm. so slim and so you know, few and far between that it's like, okay, what's our mission and values? So yeah. when my brother and I got involved with Compliance Line, you know, I guess even before, before we got involved with Compliance Line, we just always thought, we're principled guys. We're culture first guys. You know, we established, you know, we come from a distinct culture. Uh, we felt like a distinct sort of people as we moved and migrated through these different socioeconomic strata that our family kind of took us through. So culture was always super important for us. And to your point, culture kind of starts with values. And we just never wanted to be a company that had those values up on the wall, but didn't take those down and live them out. Yeah. So to your point, live, you know, what is a good culture? A culture, a good culture is one where the actions inside the company are 
at least have some semblance of resemblance to those things, those values that are up on the wall. Mm -hmm. And it can really only be done, I think, if it's got that authenticity piece. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, everyone's got these values, mm -hmm. but every, most companies that I've ever worked in, they all got those things on, on the wall, but it doesn't feel like a special place. So yeah. why is that? That's, yeah. that's that dissonance we're talking about. Yeah, no, I know. I, I, I totally get it. And I think that um, it's important to be able to also recognize an unhealthy culture. Um, I wonder if um, you could describe for us, you know, when your clients first meet you, and we're going to talk about actually what your, your products, your services, what they do, but, but let's talk about the people you help first. When you first meet your clients, what situation do, they, do you find them in? What, what challenges are they experiencing? What does, let me just say, an unhealthy culture look like that you know that your software and your services will come in to help fix? How do you find a company not in compliance? What, 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 what do they look like? That's a great question. Um, we're kind of lucky to work with some really great companies who kind of get this whole culture thing and they're really looking for tools to help reinforce their culture or to build a speak up culture so that their employees feel like, Hey, if I see something wrong, I want to say something and not get in trouble and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But that's not everybody that we deal with. Some of the companies we deal with to your point are sometimes in bad shape. And sometimes it's somebody within that, that company that's like, Hey, there's a broken culture here and I want to do what I can to fix it. Yeah. So, in, fact, in fact, let me add to what you're saying, which is the companies, some of the companies that are in bad shape, don't know they're in bad shape. <laughs> so there's also an element. Yeah, that's the scariest part. There's an element of thinking, oh, everything's fine, but it's not. But, but, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the companies that are like that are the ones that kind of pat themselves on the back when they say, well, we don't even get that many employee reports about things going wrong. And it's yeah. like, that is yeah. a bad sign. <laughs> you know, that's one of those counterintuitive elements in, in incident reporting, which, which, which we'll talk about when we talk about our services. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think if I can boil down your question, an unhealthy culture always looks like this. It looks like where the deeds don't follow the words, right? Mm -hmm. The way that people act don't follow the words on, on the wall. There's always an undercurrent of fear there's always a lack of uh, inclusivity. And I'm not just talking about like racial inclusivity or age inclusivity. I'm talking about also inclusivity around people's personality types. Mm. And um, really that fog of fear that you can feel in an organization when you walk into a room and you feel like you got to kind of get your back to the wall so you don't get, you know, stabbed in the back. Yeah. These are all kind of notes that you find in all of these unhealthy cultures and I think it all is rested down on a foundation of inauthenticity where yeah. people can't be themselves. Yeah. They can't bring, bring their unique selves to work. They have to put on this sort of work facade. These are all elements that I see in every sort of quote unquote unhealthy culture. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. And I think another key word there is trust. When there's that lack of trust, it runs. That's right. It's just like, as you said, I got to watch my back um, and so on and so forth. So yeah. And that trust thing goes both ways to your point. Like, mm -hmm. The, the people don't trust management. The people don't trust the company because the company at its core doesn't trust its people. And they have mm. to put these shackles on folks and they have to put the, you know, the, the reins and the bridles on folks because they don't trust them to do the right thing. We all know what's the right thing to do. And if we have a purpose that's resonant with us, then we're going to naturally do those kinds of things. Yeah. No, I think that, you know, and I know that you know this because you sell your, your, your stuff. I don't sell your stuff. But from what you're telling me, I'm just so resonating with the idea that if you help people in a company understand that compliance is not a scary word, 
It's actually the word that releases the strength of our culture. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. You, you get different results by repositioning that, which is what you guys do. Now let's get into what, what you physically do, what your software and your services look, look like um, to, to actually solve those kinds of problems. Give us a sense of, of what, you, what you help people with. So like you said, we help ethics, compliance, and HR professionals keep a better handle on the risks in their organization and help them reinforce the cultures that they are stewards of. So as a company gets bigger, like I was saying, it gets harder to keep your finger on that pulse. So we have software and intake services like a hotline, like web forms and so forth that allow people to speak up and say, hey, this isn't right, or hey, this doesn't feel right, or hey, I have a question about this. It allows an organization to really, um, where we can sometimes serve as a conduit for like employee relations. Mm-hmm. So something we talk about a lot is, you know, I kind of alluded to this before. You're never going to have a company that your clients love if it's not full of people that love that company. Mm. So getting back to what you're saying about this trust element, if we can create an environment, help our, help our clients create an environment where people feel like, hey, I need to speak up. Hey, I care so much about this. This is my place as well. You know, I'm an arbiter of my culture as well, and I need, I need to speak up. Then that's going to help reinforce this thing, and then it moves it away from this sort of Gestapo authoritarian, you know, compliance is culture type, or compliance is uh, the cops, you know, yeah. going to get you in trouble type of a thing, yeah. to this enabling that we all want to adhere to. Yeah. So we have that. We have um, cutting edge, state of the art um, compliance training that actually that people actually do, uh, and that actually can affect the behavior. It's not that '90s style, uh, really cringy compliance and ethics training that you know looks like a '90s sitcom or something like that. <laughs> and then we also have uh, specialized background check services, uh, ongoing screening for uh, checking the licenses of doctors, checking uh, checking healthcare professionals against sanctions and things like that. We have some, some other stuff kind of around the periphery, but those are the main pillars of the business. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. That, that's cool. So when you go into a company, typically do you have, um, you know, you bring specific software that they have to log into and um, then it's sort of, it's like a dashboard for them of all of their compliance uh, related work. Is that kind of what it looks yeah, like? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's essentially what it is. Okay. You know, what we try to be is kind of a bespoke service um, we're not like Brooks Brothers. We're much more like, um, you know, a custom tailor that's going to kind of take that bolt of cloth off and give you the custom <laughs> measurements. We're not yeah. jamming square pegs and round holes. So yeah. I think for us to help our, our clients meet their people where they're at, we need to also be able to meet our clients where they're at and be able to be flexible and do work their way. So we have, you know, these different software solutions we can plug into their, their HR system. They can use our, our service. If they use somebody else's, we can plug into that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, to be, you know, our goal is really to just provide these folks with actionable information. We want to make their lives easier because they are many times in a kind of check the box position. You know, you worked in HR. I'm sure you lived this out yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the guys whose budgets are always getting cut. These are the guys who are kind of in this kind of pigeonhole when in my mind, they're the most underutilized asset in every organization. Because if you can unleash these people to actually affect the culture, then all this goodness that you're trying to force people to to give you, they're Mm going to naturally give you because they're wired to do it. They want to give it. Yeah, absolutely. I like to say that um, 
companies make the mistake of focusing too much on what they want to achieve and they forget who is going to help them achieve it. <laughs> they forget focusing on the employees, yeah, who help them achieve it. Um, so I may, uh, I may have to take that one from you, man. That's a pretty oh, good one. I like hey, that. Hey, don't worry. It's in, my, it's, in my, it's in my latest book, The Seven Songs of a Successful Team. Go get a copy. <laughs> I will. Great. Um, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about today's environment, unfortunately. And, um, you know, you know this, I know this. We're both working in... Uh, in, in social distance, if you will, in, in isolation to some degree so that we don't, you know, spread this horrible uh, virus, coronavirus, COVID-19. How does this affect your business and how, the advice that you give regarding compliance and, and how has this affected the people you're working with and working for? So this has been a great opportunity for our company to step up and help folks out. Yeah. You know, what I've found just in, in general with this whole thing, that this crisis, it's not really building character. It's revealing character. Ooh. So you're seeing what the heart of a company is, actually. You're seeing what the heart of people are, actually. When you see these stories of doctors writing their family a bunch of prescriptions to hoard drugs, mm. well, that speaks to that doctor's, you know, regardless of whatever oath they took, that speaks to that doctor's heart. So yeah. we've run this business from a long-term perspective. Um, we're going to be all right. We're in a great business. You know, our business is up as a result of this because we're really serving a lot of healthcare organizations. And as they've mobilized to try to fight this thing, we've had to mobilize with them. We are a, a direct service provider that helped them function, right? We, we serve a lot of nursing homes, a lot of retirement facilities, a lot of, you know, massive hospital systems and so forth. So as their client or as their employees have had questions, mm -hmm. we've been there to answer those questions. And again, keep those keep those culture wheels moving. Yeah. We've been able to spin up um, a lot of lines for um, some different municipalities and from some different um, organizations who want to get sort of COVID-19 specific hotlines that will provide information for folks, provide the guidance that people need. And, you know, something we've been saying is like, this is a scary thing. It's scary for me. It's scary for you. It's scary for our country at large. It's scary for the people who are trying to run their businesses. And, Something that we've been saying is like, you're allowed to be scared, but fear is what allows us to be courageous. And that's mm. where we can make the decision on what's going to actually define us. And this is an opportunity for us all to show the character that's, with, that's within us. So, you know, to your question, how, how has this affected us? It's affected us in a lot of ways. Um, the way we've been able to help folks is by, you know, again, helping with, helping them with intake. We've given away our software tool to clients that aren't even ours just so that they can better track what's going on and respond to things. But I mean, people are totally inundated. I mean, you know, the HR people that, you know, we were just talking to somebody yesterday, his organization isn't even that big. It's maybe, you know, 20,000 people and he's getting hundreds of emails a day about, around COVID. He's trying to get all this other stuff lined up. You know, his, his city is putting out, you know, work from home things and he's got all this stuff to juggle and, and, you know, so if we can help lighten that load, yeah. you know, we feel like it's us doing our part to, to help fight this thing in our, in our little pocket of the world. Yeah, no, I mean, unfortunately or fortunately compliance and culture and COVID-19 are all playing in the same wheelhouse and, and they've got to, we've got to, you know, people have to move in a similar direction to really beat this thing. Um, let's shift gears a little bit to my favorite topic, which is profitable happiness. And we, we kind of talked about this. I, I love how you positioned it, but 
you know, in a world where a lot of companies see these softer skills like behavior and teamwork and leadership and, and compliance even as something far removed from the bottom line, like how do you guys actually help us make money? You know, <laughs> in, a world right. where, yeah, in a world where people don't always see that link, what have you seen? Um, how do you help people understand the link between, you know, behavior, happiness, feelings, um, you know, compliance, culture, and profitability? I love this question. I think this is the, this is the question that's going to get answered over this next decade. And over this next decade, we're going to see a real separation between organizations that are kind of rooted in the old world, rooted in the old way of thinking, rooted in that old sort of siloed uh, way of thinking and the types of organizations that understand the holistic nature of a company. So what am I talking about? What I'm talking about is, this attribution analysis that everybody, that a lot of folks who tend to look at HR, who tend to look at compliance or ethics or safety in a manufacturing setting as a cost center. Yeah. That mentality is to me the label that sums up where that person, where that business leader's head is at. And that's always been a very bizarre topic for me. I view an organization as this sort of cross-functional interdependent really complex organism. It's not a bunch of sort of silos that magically spit out cash. It's just a very backward way to think about it. And I think I use this analogy a lot that helps re really illustrate how backward the thinking is around putting a label like cost center, which to me is totally, I don't know, it's like insulting. <laughs> These people are working every day to make a difference. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the compliance folks, the HR folks, they know the impact that they can make. Um, and, you know, let me just start by saying this. There's a ton of studies. There's a ton of like actual data, you know, for these analytical types to really wrap their head around the fact that from a top down perspective, the most ethical organizations by far outperform their, their peers. Yeah. So in the last study that came out, again, this is in any market. This is in any up down market. They're outperforming them. In the last study, it was like over 13%. And this was just looking at public companies. It's even greater on the private, on the private perspective. But these ethical companies typically have, are wrapped in an authentic culture, what we're talking about. So from a top-down perspective, there's actually more alpha being generated by these companies. There's more returns. The stock options of those executives are worth more. The margins of those organizations are bigger. This is what these you know, bottom-line-minded folks really care about. So from a top-down perspective, we, we see it happening. For some reason, from a bottom-up perspective, when that ethics department needs some more money or that HR department wants to buy this new software, there's always this sort of tightening of the belt and it gets sort of scrutinized because, well, how am I going to pour more money into this cost center? What's my return? What we're talking about is an indirect connection between the dollars spent in these cost centers and the goodness, the bottom line, the more cash, the more margin, the more stock options, whatever value on the other side. So I think a good picture of this this complexity or this sort of indirect uh, relationship between sort of a function and its outcome can be kind of had by exploring this, this question of look at how much money you made last year. And I want you to start allocating it to the cost centers and the profit centers of your body. Yeah. So, I, I like the way you position that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it, my it, arms it, and my, my head, my leg, which one is it? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Guess. And then now dive deeper into something that's even more uh, intangible, which is your personality. Mm. How much of the money you made last year was from your personality? How much do you want to allocate toward your hands and feet? How much are you going to put toward your brain? The point is, it's a ridiculous question. It's an absurd 
it's an absurd exercise to try to go through and say, I'm going to give, you know, $50 to my ear and a hundred dollars to my face. It's a stupid exercise. Yeah. But, and yet that's how these people are running their companies. And they're wondering why their people don't feel unleashed. They're wondering why their people don't feel empowered to pursue the mission of their organization. Mm. So, you know, to me, you know, look, there's, there, there's this, there's this duality in everything. It, there's a duality of man. There's a, there's a hard and soft, right? There's a, there's a, a pro and con, whatever. Um, in business, there's the hard stuff, right? That's the, 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 you know, the, the financials, the spreadsheets, the, you know, the discounted cash flow models, the marketing models, there's things like that. And then on the other side of the fence, there's the soft stuff. There's the interpersonal stuff. There's the happiness. There's the culture, these sort of more amorphous, more uh, immaterial things um, that are harder to sort of grab onto and touch. So what I always say is that the hard stuff is easy. You can read that stuff in a book. You can sit through an MBA class and learn that stuff. The soft stuff is actually what's hard. Yeah. And the soft stuff, yeah. if you can get that soft stuff right, that's really what's going to separate. Because the only competitive advantage for an organization is its culture. You can't Absolutely. copy that. I could copy your iPhone. I mean, Samsung did it. You know what I'm saying? Like you can copy a computer. Apple did it or Windows did it, whoever did it. Um, but that culture, that heart, that ethos of an organization, you can't just sort of say, you know, by edict, okay, we're all going to live this way. Because mm-hmm. it's got to be organic and it's got to be real and it's going to sort of spring up organically within the hearts and minds of the people that are actually pursuing that purpose. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. I especially love your quote. And, and I'm going to put this on, on your, your page when we launch this podcast. You say the only competitive asset in an organization, the only true one is your culture. You can't copy that. I love that. That's yeah, really it's the only one that's sustainable. It's yeah. the only one that, that, can, that has some walls around it. Yeah, you can't yeah. just grab that from me and say, okay, I'm going to have this kind of a company. Okay. Yeah, that's why yeah. I don't mind talking about our special sauce because people can't copy it because it's real, because it's authentic and because we actually care. So, yeah. you know, and it goes, and it goes way back to the beginning of your story, which I can't duplicate and, you know, and so on. But, um, exactly. you know, um, another thing I want to say is that you've actually done a really good definition of my own company. The whole idea of those two words, profitable and happiness. Um, it, right. it's, it, it's when we start to say, look, we're not just talking about culture for culture's sake. We know that that culture and that happiness and that leadership or whatever those soft skills are will lead to profit because there's a direct, you may look indirect, but there's a direct link just like everything else. So, And I think there's also a generational element to this that a lot of people miss. You know, there's a lot of people from older generations running organizations and they scratch their head and they look at the millennial and the Generation Z folks and they say, these people feel like aliens. What are they? (laughs) What are they? Listen, whether you understand them or not, they're mm-hmm. wired differently, meaning they have a different priority set of what they think is important. Yeah. So 50 years ago, people's parents were telling them, get a good job, stay there for 30 years, get the gold watch, get your pension, and that's it. Today, people are coming out of college with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. They see a, a housing market that has crashed. They've yeah. seen all these things that were truths in the older generation that aren't present today. And thus, there's a different shift. Like the... Um, the percentage of people coming out of school today versus 30 years ago who mm-hmm. think that becoming a multimillionaire is attainable is way lower. So what has filled those other things? Well, it's a more balanced life. It is a purposeful life. It is a business that really resonates with their, with their own why, with their own purpose and what drives them. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying that if you, if you believe as a business, as somebody who's running a business or a leader in a business, that your first customer is your employee, mm-hmm. then you have to give them a product that they want. 
And the new generation, the biggest population now is millennials. By the end of the, the, the decade, it's going to be 75% of the workers. This is what they're thirsty for. So if for no other reason, if you don't want to wrap your head around why they're wired, wired different, understand that they are and understand that this shift is going to need to be had either with or the shift is going to happen with or without you. It's time Absolutely. to get ahead of that curve for organizations to really separate and really create this happiness that, to your point, is profitable. Absolutely. Wow. Well, Nick, you know, I, I would love to know how um, people can get a hold of you and your organization and learn more about you know, you guys cover not only the, the top conceptual approach to how the world, how people need to think and behave and feel at companies, but you go all the way down to the software and services that tangibly make these things happen and connect to profitability. How can people get a hold of you if they want to work with you or learn more from you? Uh, the best thing to do would be to come to our website, mm -hmm. uh, complianceline.com. Or they can find me or my brother on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, again, my name is Nick Gallo. So um, yeah, reach out anytime. And you know, we are down to help anybody, whether they're our client or not. Our goal is to make the world a better workplace, and I think we can best do that by helping elevate ethics and compliance and HR people to be that strategic lever in their organization. So whether you're a client or not, I, I encourage people to reach out because we have tools and we have techniques and we have. Um, ideas that can help you elevate and make that impact in your, your organization. Wow. Spoken like the chief servant of an organization. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Nick, it's just been a blast. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for being on our show. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Happiness Podcast. For more episodes, visit drpalay.com. And remember, Get happy first and success will follow.